This morning's reading is taken from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all, rather we uphold the law. Thank you, Terry. Well, let's pray as we come to to understand this passage from God's Word together. Father God, we are conscious of the, the richness, the depth of these verses, in some ways the complexity as well. And so we do pray that you would help us to understand what this means, help us understand these concepts. But we do pray that your spirit would help us not just to understand them in our heads, but to actually touch our hearts with the full impact of what is happening here. This is good news. This is the gospel. And Lord, we pray that we would respond to it. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the uh, film Deep Impact, I don't know if any of you have seen that, a comet is hurtling towards Earth, about to destroy it. A plan is devised whereby a team is going to fly into space with some nuclear weapons, uh, plant them in the comet, destroy it, um, so it won't be a threat to the Earth. Quite an ambitious scheme which unfortunately fails. All it manages to do is break it into two. 
The US president appears on TV to tell the world the bad news, that there are two rocks heading towards the Earth. The first one is going to cause a tsunami about 3,500 feet high. The second one will cause a cloud of dust that will block out the sun for two years and kill off all life within weeks. Now, you hear this devastating news, and uh, you think, well, that looks pretty hopeless. But there must be something that can be done. Surely this is not the end. After all, Morgan Freeman is the US president, and he always somehow works it out, doesn't he? Well, last week, Wellesley took us through the first couple of chapters of Romans, up to verse 20 of chapter 3, and it was pretty grim reading. Together... (coughs) Belonging to humankind, we appeared in the dock and were presented with our guilt. And the last verses of chapter 1 are a real indictment of the, the human race. And in case we attempted to think, well, that doesn't describe me. I'm surely better than that. Well, we had in verse 10 of chapter 3 the condemnation. There is no one righteous, not even one. And in our passage this morning, the the whole of that previous passage is summed up in verse 23 of chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what we saw back in chapter 1, verse 23. It said there, people exchange the glory of God for images. Or in verse 25, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And verse 28, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. All have sinned, and that sin is, as John Piper describes it, essentially a rejection of God and his glory as the supreme value of our lives Rejection of God and his glory as the supreme value in our lives. Instead of treasuring God's glory, sin exchanges it for something else. Now the reason that is such a big thing is that God created the universe. He created human beings to display his glory. And so the situation is serious. But the thing is, as we read chapter 1 and into chapters 2 and 3, we have at the back of our minds that verse for the year. That verse from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And so we're thinking, just as we are with that film, that it's not can't be that hopeless. There is some hope there somewhere, surely. There has to be a solution. And this morning we come to the solution. It comes in uh, verse 21 of chapter 3. Some preachers take weeks to get here, but we're too impatient to do that. We just need to hear these words in verse 21. But now, but now, because those words announce a solution that God has prepared since the beginning of time. God has given us his righteousness as a gift. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given 
through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And in verse 24, all are justified freely by his grace. If we are facing God's wrath as a result of our unrighteousness, then it is clear that the solution can't come from ourselves. It can only come from God. And that is the good news, that God has given it to us as a gift. Grace means free, undeserved gift. It's not something we can pay for. It's priceless. It's not something we can work for. And that point's made clear over in the verse 4 of chapter 4. Just look over the page uh, there where it says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. In other words, if you work for someone, they don't give you a gift, they pay you a wage. They are in your debt. But you can't work for God because he can't be put in anyone's debt. We'll find later on in Romans chapter 11, this is what it says in verse 35, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? The answer is no one, and the reason is given. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So it's a gift we don't deserve. It's a gift we can't pay for. It's a gift we can't work for. But what exactly is this gift? What does it mean to receive God's righteousness or to be justified? Because the words both mean pretty much the same thing. To be justified is a legal term, which means to be declared just or innocent. When you stand before the judge in the dock, as we looked at last week, the charges are laid before you. The judge decides on your guilt or your innocence. And if guilty, decides on your penalty. Now the weird thing is that last week it was clear that we're all guilty. We can't change that. We can't change the, the things we have done and continue to do. So the judge can't make us righteous in the same way he can't make us guilty. We are or we're not. But the judge declares that we are innocent. He grants us freedom. God the judge has counted his righteousness as ours. He hasn't changed our nature at this stage. Justification, which is what we're looking at, is very different from sanctification. That's when the Spirit works in our lives to change us and make us more like Jesus Christ. But here, justification is a one-off act that declares that we are innocent. But you may say, well, how does that work? How can he do that? After all, we read in Proverbs that acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the law detests them both. Well, we'll come back to how he does that, but for now rejoice in the fact that we can stand before God as innocent, as right in his eyes, and celebrate our freedom. A couple here celebrating their freedom. This is the reaction we should be having to celebrating the freedom that God gives us when he declares that we are innocent. This is a precious gift of righteousness that is available to everyone. So let's look at how we can receive it. <clears throat> well, the way in which we can receive it is through faith in Christ. Have a look at verse 22. This righteousness is given 
through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Just as all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we are told here the amazing news that all can receive the gift of righteousness by faith. And that means both Jew and Gentile, as it says here. There's no difference between the way in which the people of God in the Old Testament were saved from the way in which those in the New Testament were saved. All were saved by faith. Faith is often set up in opposition to works. Some people thought that by keeping the law, they would be made right with God. But it says here in verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. And into verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So the law, the prophets, the Old Testament, is saying that that message of justification by faith, it was already there in the Old Testament, but it had not yet been made known. The people of the Old Testament were saved on the basis of God's righteousness being revealed at some point in the future. They didn't know how God would do that. They didn't know that uh, it would be Jesus who died, who was raised to life, who was exalted. But they had faith in God's plan of salvation. And they knew they could do nothing in their own strength. So if you look at over chapter 4 again, Abraham is mentioned as one who was not justified by works, but in verse 3 it says, he believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. In verse 6, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So he said that our righteousness is a gift from God. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. But we have to believe. It's a free gift. We can receive it through faith, but what are we actually putting our trust in? What are we believing? Because we haven't yet answered the question of how can God declare us sinners, us guilty people, to be innocent, to be righteous? Well, the answer comes in verse 24. Have a look at verse 24. It says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Well, again, there's a couple of uh, technical terms here. What does it mean for us to be redeemed by Christ? What does it mean for him to be a sacrifice of atonement? Let's have a quicker look at each of those in turn. To be redeemed, to redeem something or someone is to release them by payment of a price. It's used uh, today in the financial world. We um, hear about mortgages being redeemed. If if you've got a mortgage on your your home, it's the the security you give to the building society um, when you take out a loan to buy buy the house. So ultimately, uh, your house belongs to the building society, I'm afraid to tell you, if you weren't aware of that already. Um, but if you redeem your mortgage, if you pay back that loan, then the house 
is released, it becomes yours. Now, in the time when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, one of the most common examples of uh, redemption was in the slave market. A slave could be redeemed, they could be released from their master's ownership by payment of a price. And last Sunday evening, when we started our series on serving, we looked at that passage, if you remember from Mark 10, where it says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the same principle we have here. His life was the payment, the ransom, so that we could be set free. Set free from from what, you may ask? We're set free from our slavery to sin. We saw last week our sin has affected every aspect of our lives. We can't break free from that ourselves. We are therefore guilty before God. We deserve to pay a penalty as a result of our sin. But Christ has set us free from the guilt, the penalty, the power of sin. And this is where we come to how can it be just to justify the, the, God, the ungodly? Because God doesn't just make the unrighteous righteous without their sin being dealt with. That still needs to, to be dealt with. Otherwise, he would be unrighteous. But instead of the guilty paying the price for their sin, someone else pays it on their behalf. And that person, of course, is Jesus. The penalty for rejection of God is death, is separation from him for eternity. If Jesus is to pay the penalty, he has to die. He has to be separated from his father. He has to sacrifice his life so we can live. That film, Deep Impact, I mentioned at the beginning, comet hurtling towards earth, got to be a solution there somewhere someone will figure it out well the solution is in the spacecraft the spacecraft is still up in space their plan didn't work but they've still got nuclear weapons on board they come up with the idea well actually we could fly into the comet we could set off those bombs and blow it apart and of course they do the crew inevitably die in the process they give up their lives but they save planet earth they sacrificed their lives so that others could live for God himself to step in particularly after the way that we have rejected him and treated him to pay the price for us to be reconciled to be made right with him is a totally amazing piece of good news and that is the gospel Christ is the redeemer he's the one who paid the price Well, the other term here is sacrifice of atonement, um, which is a translation of the word propitiation, which means putting aside God's wrath by the offering of a gift or a sacrifice. It comes from the Old Testament sacrificial system, the the Day of Atonement, which was when the, uh, the high priest would slaughter one goat for the sins of the people to make atonement for them. And he would lay his hands on the head of another goat, that goat would carry the sins of the people and would go out into the desert and carry those sins away. The gift, the sacrifice had been made, the result was the sins were taken away from the people. Hence the the word scapegoat. Well, 500 years later, the prophet Isaiah promised there would one day be a better sacrifice. 
a better one to deal with sin. And that would be the servant, Jesus Christ. He's the one who would bear the sin of many. The punishment that brought us peace would be upon him. The sacrifice of a goat was just a temporary symbolic act which looked ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus. He would turn God's wrath away from humankind and bring us peace with God. So if that's how God is able to declare us innocent, what about the reason why? Is it just because he's a God of love, he's a loving God, he loves us so much that he wants us to be free? As it says in Exodus, the Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Well, it is because of God's love for us, but it's actually more than that. Have a look at what it says in verse 25. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith and he goes on to explain why he did that he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus what does that mean? Well, the problem that needs to be dealt with here is that in that quote from Exodus about God being compassionate and gracious, it finishes, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. But here we read, in his forbearance, God had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In other words, God in the Old Testament had forgiven his people for their sins when he should have punished them. Time after time, God forgives the people of Israel when they reject him, when they go off and do their thing. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and he finds the people there worshipping a golden calf? God threatens to destroy them. And Moses appeals to God, turn from your fierce anger, relent, do not bring disaster on your people. And he does. When David is confronted by Nathan the prophet for adultery and murder... David confesses his sin and Nathan says to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Just like that. Now these are pretty serious crimes. Murder, adultery. Where's the sense of justice? For God to forgive without justice being done seems to be an unrighteous thing. And that is why twice it says here in these verses, God did this. He sent his son to die to demonstrate his righteousness. It's his name. It's his glory that is at stake. And as we looked at earlier, that is the most important thing, more important than our forgiveness. The thing is, we don't often talk about things. We don't think about things in those terms, do we? What we think about is how can we be saved? That is surely the most important thing. If my sin and my guilt are dealt with, that's all I care about. Which is why you hear people ask the question, why did God have to send his son to die? Why didn't he just forgive without the need for a cross? If he's God, surely he can do that. 
But the world doesn't revolve around us. The world revolves around God. Everything is made for his glory. To fall short of the glory of God doesn't just mean we cannot live up to the standards of God. It means we've not put God's glory as the most important thing. And if God's glory is the most important thing, then he cannot simply forgive sin without dealing with it. When Nathan confronted David, he said to him, you have despised, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. Now David may have thought, well actually, I didn't even really think about God. I just had lust for this woman. Her husband was in the, in the way. I had to deal with him to get what I wanted. But of course it's God who created life. It's God who designed marriage. It's God who made David king. And David didn't even give him a second thought as he put his own desires first before the glory of God. If God had overlooked that, he would have been saying, it's okay to dishonor my name. My glory is not important. He would have been unrighteous. But he couldn't. And that is why Jesus died. So that all those sins that God previously overlooked, that in his forbearance, it says here, God left unpunished, including David's, including ours, those sins that despise God's glory are dealt with at the cross. Jesus has paid the price for us. God's righteousness has been demonstrated. These are possibly the most powerful, most meaningful verses in the whole Bible. This is the gospel in a nutshell. In a few verses we have humankind's problem. We have God's solution. How he achieved it, why he achieved it. And how we can receive God's righteousness as a free gift through faith in Christ. And the question as we come to an end is, will you accept this free gift? Will you accept this righteousness by trusting in Christ's death for you? Do you realize how much you need it? Because we have all rejected God. We've all rejected his glory as a supreme value in our lives. Will you go from here this morning thinking that the world revolves around me, all that's important is my worries, my concerns, or that actually revolves around God? Do you want to experience the joy of uh, uh, receiving his gift of righteousness, of knowing that you have been declared innocent, that you are now right with God? If so, then come to Christ now. Acknowledge your total helplessness, that there's nothing you can do yourself to, to earn that, but trust in his gift, his grace, trust in the cross where God's righteousness was demonstrated. And come and join us now as we celebrate Christ's sacrifice of atonement, as we take the Lord's Supper together.